welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Hey, welcome along to Gateway this evening. Thrilled you're here with us. Um, I've been doing a series, an Advent series that's kind of started pre-Advent and uh, this is actually message number four. Um, I did one and two in the mornings and then you picked up three last week and, and tonight is number four. But effectively what I'm doing is looking at the Christmas promise, the coming of the Messiah, probably the greatest of all of the promises that God has made to human beings. And we're looking at it as a pattern, a paradigm of how God makes smaller promises to people like you and I and how he, how he fulfills them. Uh, in part two, I looked at the people that promises happen to, and we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, and particularly Mary, and we noted that promises happen to incredibly ordinary people. Ordinary people, lowly people, flawed to the bone kind of people, just like you and I. And then last week, last Sunday night, uh, I talked about the pathway that a promise takes. And I talked about the fact that promises generally go through three stages or broadly through three stages. The birth of a promise, which is marked by excitement and enthusiasm and faith, almost like the exact opposite of what God promised you. And I can't begin to tell you the number of times over the years that people have shared with me a promise that they felt God had given to them, whether it be um, you know, financial prosperity, for example. Uh, a, a guy came to me and uh, talked to me about his business and said he believed that God had promised his business would be incredibly prosperous and that he would be able to be an incredibly generous person in terms of missions and other things. You know, it wasn't that long before that business went into liquidation and the guy was left thinking, what on earth was that about? And so often in the death of a promise, you know, we, we are left confused, doubting, uh, sometimes angry, but it's actually the reality of the pathway of a promise. And you can take God's promises to Abraham, to Joseph, to Moses, to David, to any number of people in the scriptures, and you can see the, prophet, the, the promise birthed the promise apparently dying, and then the last stage where God supernaturally raises that promise, and people are incredibly aware that this promise was God, that it wasn't of their own making and their own fulfillment, but that God did it. And it's incredibly important that we understand that because invariably at some point in our time, we will find ourselves like Joseph in a pit and be wondering what on earth was it that God said? Somebody once said, Pitt is an acrostic for profit and training. And nearly everybody finds themselves at some point in that place asking the same kinds of questions that Joseph would have asked. Tonight I want to talk to you about protecting the promise, okay? And I'm going to read to you a passage from Luke chapter 1, and then we'll make a few comments on it. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 41, it says, as Gabriel talks to Mary, you will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest, and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. 
Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As a servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Afterwards, Mary arose and hurried off to the hill country of Judea to the village where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the moment she heard Mary's voice, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked, and suddenly Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Verse 56 goes on to say, before going home, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. You know, when relatives tell you that they're coming to stay, you always want to ask how long, because that's some visit, okay? When Gabriel visited Mary and gave her this promise, her first response was one of confusion and a sense of disqualification. How, how can this be? I, I haven't had the necessary experience. I'm not qualified. You know, it's a common response to God's promises, I mentioned this morning when I was talking, you know, um, in my first years of ministry, I mean, I went into ministry young. I, I was 26 when I went into full-time ministry. I was, I was 29 when we began to pastor our first church. And for the first, I don't know how many years, I think that I disqualified myself on the basis of my age. And you know, the crazy thing is I find myself doing the same thing now, only at the other end of the spectrum. And I'm not sure when I moved from too young to too old, and I'm not sure how long the window was between those two things. I think it was a Tuesday and a Wednesday about 15 years ago, and I was so busy I never even noticed that this was my moment of opportunity. For the rest of the time, like most of you, I've battled with a sense of disqualification. It's not unusual. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves by virtue of our family of origin, um, our, our past history in terms of our own behavior or, or our lack of education. Or, you know, there are so many things that rise up to say, you can't do this. You don't have the necessary experience. You're not qualified. What we fail to grasp, though, is that God's promises have very little to do with how qualified we think we are or aren't. Promises are not given on the basis of what you can do, but on the basis of what God has promised to do. You know, the source of Mary's promise was divine. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And it's incredibly important for us to grasp that we aren't the source of the promise. We're simply the channel through whom it flows. Human activity was not required for the generation of the Messiah. And in exactly the same way, human activity is not required to generate the promise in you. It's his activity that brings that promise into being. Now, having said that and noted that Mary was not the source of the promise, she was responsible once that seed had conceived within her for partnering with the Lord for the protection and nurturing of that promise. And that's what I want to talk about with you this evening. As this series has unfolded a number of times, I've talked about carrying the promise in the same way that we describe a pregnant woman carrying her child. And I think there is scriptural precedence for using that metaphor. 
We do talk in the scriptures about being pregnant with promise. I mean, Sarah was literally pregnant with promise. Sometimes the idea is actually used in quite a negative way. In Isaiah chapter 26, the prophet says of Israel, like a woman having a baby writhing in distress, screaming in her pain as the baby is being born. That's how we were because of you, O God. We were pregnant full tomb and we writhed in labor but bore no baby. We gave birth to wind. Nothing came of our labor. We produced nothing living. We couldn't save the world. This is a metaphorical way of saying we, the promise that we thought we were carrying bore no fruit. It didn't produce anything. So this idea of being pregnant with promise is found throughout the scriptures. And it has precedence even in the biological realm. In the natural realm, the uterus of a woman and the human heart are approximately the same size. And in a metaphysical, or sorry, in a metaphorical sense, they, they actually perform a similar function. The uterus is the place where the male seed is received, where conception and gestation and pregnancy take place. The human heart is the place where the word of God enters, where conception takes place, where gestation and pregnancy develop in terms of that promise. You know, the, the Word of God actually is described even as seed. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And the Greek word for seed is the word sperma, from which we get our English word sperm. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible sperm, but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. So God's word is like, like sperm and, and it touches our heart and conception takes place and gestation begins. The pregnancy carrying the promise develops within us. You know, even in terms of our conversion, we are said to be born again. This kind of illustration is rooted throughout the scriptures. So what I'm suggesting then is many of us are pregnant with promise. God's seed has entered you. Something has conceived in your heart and there is gestating within you that promise and it needs to come to birth. We're all aware on the natural realm that the type of life a prospective mother lives dramatically affects the developing child. A mother who's a heroin addict has a very high possibility of giving birth to a baby that is drug dependent right from its earliest age. We're told again and again that the prospective mother shouldn't drink, that she shouldn't smoke, that her diet is important. These are things that if not cared for can negatively impact the child de developing within her. More recent research has concentrated on the impact of a mother's emotional well-being in terms of its impact on the child in utero. There is a fascinating book called The Secret World of the Unborn Child written by a physician called Thomas Varney, and he talks about the impact of a mother's emotional states on the developing a child in utero, and it can be incredibly important, very, very significant. Can I suggest to you this evening that something very similar happens in terms of the promise that we carry, how we live our lives, though we can't create the seed within us, though we can't create the, the promise within us, how we live our lives is incredibly important in terms of whether that uh, promise arrives healthy or even if it arrives at all. Um, a pregnant mother has to be protective of the life forming within her. 
And I would suggest to you that if you feel that God has put a dream, a promise in your heart, you need to be protective with regard to that as well. Protective and paranoid, by the way, aren't the same thing. I'm sure you've met couples who go completely overboard once they find out that they're expecting a child, and it becomes an exercise in obsession. I I remember one particular woman in a church that I pastored, not this one, um, who researched on finding out that she was pregnant, and she knew what was happening in utero on every single day, what... what, uh, what vitamins, what minerals, what trace elements would be advantageous to the child at that particular day, and all were purchased and carefully administered on the exact day. And it was like, it was really interesting watching. Normal life was suspended for nine months of obsessional craziness. And when the baby came, it was normal. You know, the baby didn't come out with a six-pack quoting the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was just a normal baby. Some people fall into the spiritual equivalent of that kind of obsessional, paranoid response to God's promises. I'm just saying to you tonight that God's promises don't have to make you weird. This, this can be very, very natural. However, you recognize that not all of the things that are around you are helpful, uh, and some can actually do potentially significant harm, and you do have to protect the promise. Let's see what Mary did as she responded to carrying God's promise. Verse 36 and 56 tell us that she went and she stayed with her elderly cousin Elizabeth for three months. Now, it was Gabriel that informed Mary that Elizabeth was expecting a child. She hadn't heard that news. She didn't respond with, yes, I know. This was news to her. It was revelation to her. However far apart their villages were, the news hadn't traveled and Mary hadn't heard that her elderly cousin was expecting. So she decides to go and check this news out. If in fact Elizabeth was pregnant, then that would be incredible confirmation to Mary that the angelic messenger that had spoken to her wasn't simply a figment of her imagination. And I find this incredibly comforting because God is unbelievably patient with us as we fumble our way into faith regarding the promises he's made to us. He wasn't angry with Mary for going and checking this out in the same way that he wasn't angry with Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 32, the Bible tells us that the Lord told the prophet that his uncle was gonna come and offer him a piece of land and that he was to buy it. And as the story unfolds in that chapter, his uncle comes, offers him the point, uh, offers him the, the, the land that the, angel had, or that the Lord had spoken of, invites him to buy it and Jeremiah does so. And at the end of that story, verse eight, it says, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. It's like up till that point, he wasn't sure. He needed that kind of confirmation. And I'm, you know, I've, I've heard the voice of God sometimes and, and, and come away thinking, is that really you, Lord? Could, could you just confirm that to me? Can I be sure that that's you? And he doesn't get upset with us in the same way that he didn't get upset with Gideon. When he says, Gideon, you're going to be a mighty deliverer, and Gideon's struggling in faith with that and asks for a fleece. Can the fleece be wet and the ground be dry? And the Lord did it. And then he said, will you reverse it? And the Lord did it. And even then he said, listen, sneak down to the camp at night and listen. 
So Gideon and a soldier friend go down and at the edge of the camp they hear some of the Midianite soldiers talking and one's relaying a dream to the other and the dream has to do with Gideon and his forces beating them in battle. And at the end of that Gideon says, I think it's the Lord. (laughs) The Lord's not upset with that. He doesn't mind us as we fumble our way into faith. He doesn't rebuke either Mary, Jeremiah, or Gideon. Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, at her house, and lo and behold, she is pregnant, just as the angel had said. And one of the things that that does is it builds faith in Mary regarding what the angel has said to her. I'd like to suggest to you, too, that this visit And this friendship between Mary and Elizabeth is incredibly important in the development of these miracle children that they are carrying. Now you might say, well, I understand Mary's child is a miracle, but but how do you understand Elizabeth's child to be a miracle? Wasn't virgin born, it was naturally conceived, but the reality is John the Baptist, who was the fruit of that, union, nonetheless was a miracle child of promise. And the angel Gabriel had come to that household as well as to Mary's. So these two women are pregnant with remarkable children, one more remarkable than the other. Naturally, Elizabeth is way too old to fall pregnant. The Bible tells us that her years of childbearing possibilities had long passed And verse 7 says that she was barren and well-stricken in years. And as I said this morning, I'm not sure how old one has to be considered to be well-stricken, but it sounds a lot older than I feel comfortable being. It's no comment, okay? It's the exact same terminology that's used of Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, verse 11, and she was 90. Now, even if Elizabeth was 20 years younger, at 70, she would be considered something of a freak of nature to be carrying a child. And this season must have been such a bittersweet season for Elizabeth. I mean, obviously the incredible joy that her barrenness had finally been broken. I mean, she was nicknamed the barren one, as we read in that opening passage of Scripture. At the same time, the awkwardness of her geriatric status You know, if you apparently get pregnant over 35 nowadays, they put you in this category called a geriatric pregnancy. Well, this this woman is super geriatric, okay? She's at least 70, possibly 90. And I suspect that her and Zacharias were the butt of a lot of jesting among their village where they lived. Some of it well-meaning, some of it joyous, but I suspect a lot of it a little cruel as well. You know, the Bible records in Luke chapter 1 verse 24 that she hid herself for five months. Now, we aren't told particularly why she did, but I suspect that this was a period that was not easy for her. And the interesting thing is, you know, Elizabeth was in a unique position to believe, identify with, and encourage Mary in what she was facing. Because Mary is pregnant before she'd come together with Joseph. And while that might not have been unheard of, even in that time, the story of how Mary claimed that it happened was certainly unique. I mean, truly, who's gonna believe a story of angelic visitations and virginal conception? I know I wouldn't have. 
She was facing misunderstanding, rejection, abandonment, and possibly worse. But in Elizabeth, she found a person who possibly understood some much more than other people did. And I can imagine them sitting together in the lengthening Middle, evening, Middle Eastern evenings talking about the events that occurred. And maybe at first even Elizabeth is a little cynical regarding Mary's story of becoming pregnant without having had sexual relations with a man. But as the story unfolds and Mary describes Gabriel, can you imagine Elizabeth listening to that description and saying, that's exactly what Zachariah said. He noted that as well. The look on his face, the sword at his side, the, the tenor of his voice, that's exactly what he said. And that perhaps she believed in Mary in ways that nobody else would have. Each of us is a Mary. Each of us has promises that God has spoken over our lives or wants to speak into our lives. Like her, we are pregnant with and carrying a promise. And each one of us, as a Mary, needs an Elizabeth. A person who believes in us, encourages us, and resonates with us. We need somebody like that, because lots of other people won't believe. When we articulate what we think God is saying to us, there'll be lots who'll just shake their heads and turn away. We each need an Elizabeth. We are, each of us, a Mary, but we need to be an Elizabeth to another Mary. I hope, what, I hope you hear what I'm saying. You, you need an Elizabeth and you need to be an Elizabeth to other people. As I say, you'll find very quickly that when you're carrying a promise, not everybody will be as thrilled about it as you are. People of promise are threatening to some and it will arouse all kinds of insecurities and jealousies, envies in other people. You know, when Joseph spoke about his dreams to his brothers, they didn't exactly jump for joy and offer to uh, aid its fulfillment. It actually aroused so much hostility that it destroyed any family harmony that there might have been, not that there particularly was in that dysfunctional family. But ultimately, it even put his life in danger. His father, Jacob, while somewhat confused by the nature of his son's dreams, responded differently to, than Joseph's siblings did. The Bible says he considered things. One translation said he brooded over things in much the same way as in Genesis chapter one, the Holy Spirit brooded over the chaos, waiting for something creative to come forward. Jacob is thinking about Joseph's dreams and brooding over them. Now, I think one of the reasons that Jacob responded quite differently than his sons did to Joseph's dreams was that he too had had some experience with the prophetic spirit in dreams. He too had seen the veil pulled back and seen something of the spiritual realm. And in one sense, this father, Jacob and Joseph, had a relationship much like Mary and Elizabeth did. While Joseph's brothers rejected and mocked him, his father, while not fully grasping everything for sure, knew enough to brood, knew enough to encourage, knew enough to try and give space to this young dreamer and not quench his dreams. Friends, we've got to encourage one another, exhort one another, provoke one another, 
help one another to carry the dreams that God has put in their heart. Be an Elizabeth to somebody. At the same time, look for an Elizabeth to speak faith to you. Don't get so focused on your pregnancy, as it were, that you forget to encourage other people in theirs. I think it was E. Stanley Jones who once said, the definition of boredom is listening to someone talk about their arthritis when you really want to talk about yours. And there's a lot of people who do that with pregnancy. They, they outline all of the details of theirs and, and ignore the fact that other people too are carrying a child. You know, Philippians says this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Take an interest in other people as a community of faith. Take interest in the people that are around about you, that are in your small group, that are in, in, in the circles that you move in. Encourage their dreams and their promises. The people that you company with and the activities that you involve yourself in at this season of your development will greatly impact the health of and maybe even the arrival of the promise. You, you won't be able to avoid cynics and I would say don't throw your pearls before swine in terms of who you share your dreams with. But you won't be able to avoid cynics. The world is full of them. And unfortunately, the church too has its share of older brothers who will widely inform you when you share your dreams that you don't have the necessary experience to do what you're dreaming of. And at times, that can be brutal. A dear friend of mine uh, who has a remarkable prophetic gift. Uh, I recall him telling me the first time that he ventured to share with his pastor that he felt he had that gift. And his pastor publicly mocked him and humiliated him. My pastor told me in no uncertain terms when I talked about my dream to be a pastor that I would never be able to lead a church, that I didn't have the necessary experience, that I wasn't qualified. There will be the naysayers, but if God has put something in your heart, hold on to it. You know, there's an old saying that says it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're working with turkeys. There's plenty of turkeys in the world that'll grub around the ground, and when you lift your head, they'll tell you, just stop it, stop it. Don't, you know, don't dare to dream like that. The world may be full of turkeys, and unfortunately, there's some in the church as well, but cultivate some eagle friendships. Learn how to protect the promises that you carry from the cynicism and unbelief that swirls around the world about you. You know, cynicism is the new call. It's, it's really intellectually sophisticated not to be committed to anything. But unfortunately, or at least in the church, things work differently. You have to mix the promises with faith. You cannot be a cynic. You know, in Isaiah chapter 28, and I think it's about verse 16, it says that the mockers' bonds are made strong. There is something about mockery and cynicism that binds people up. And you can bind yourself up with the mockery and cynicism that you have even regarding the, only, the things that God has spoken to you about. Don't, don't do that. Find yourself speaking faith to it. In Hebrews chapter four and verse two, it says the word of the Lord came to the people of Israel, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. 
You know, there are times when providence stands before you with empty hands. You look out and see nothing of what God has promised for you, but, uh, promised you. But even at that point in time, while you acknowledge the reality inside in your heart, you speak faith. And you say, Father, it doesn't look so good out there right now, but I trust you. You're not a man that you should lie, neither the son of man that you need to repent. Have you said and shall you not do it? Have you spoken and shall you not bring it to pass? I trust you. Speak faith to it. Protect the promise that's developing within you. Spend time with people who believe in you. Will encourage you, will provoke you, will challenge and shape you. And there are various ways of doing this, by the way. The, the people that you company with might be actual people. They might be mentors that you seek out. They could be godly companions that are on the journey with you and that are believing God with you. The people that you company with have a huge impact on you. You know, it's been said, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. Who you company with is significant. Proverbs 13, 20 says, be with wise men, become wise. Be with evil men, become evil. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Good morals are corrupted by bad company. Every parent of a teenager knows that truth. You know, that's why you guard them carefully. You not, any, you not only need to guard your teenagers carefully, you need to guard your heart carefully with regard to those promises. Sometimes it's not actual people. It can be heroes of faith from the past. You can company with people of faith by reading their biographies. Become a student of history, particularly in the areas that you feel drawn to. For example, if you felt drawn to a life of intercession and prayer, then read the David Brainards. Read their journals. If you feel called to evangelism, then read the Finneys. Whatever it is that draws your heart, read to it. Read the Wesleys, read the Booths, read the Hudson Taylors. Let them speak faith to you through their journey. Like Hebrews says, although they're dead, their, their words continue, and this great company of witnesses have words of faith to speak to you with regard to the journey that you're on. Find authors and speakers that speak wisdom to you. Be in the scriptures. Read the story of the biblical heroes. Allow their story to create life and expectation and faith within you. Mix the promises with faith. If you don't, you can lose them. Uh, you know, the, the, the landscape is filled with people who once felt something from God and who have put it on the shelf now and walked away from it. I can't begin to count the number of people that I've pastored that at one point in their journey would say, God is calling me to, and they would name something. And now here we are 40 years on and they're not even following Jesus anymore. They came into that stage where it seemed like the dreams died and they turned in anger and accusation against God and said, if this is what God does to his friends, then no wonder he doesn't have many of them. And they've walked away. When you read the histories, when you read the story, when you're aware of how pathways unfold, it's not unusual. It's in those seasons where God actually is adjusting and shaping and building a character in you that will allow you to live in your dreams successfully and well without them actually destroying you. In, in northern regions of North America, there is a small animal called the varying hare. It's sometimes called the snowshoe rabbit. And this rabbit has an unusual ability. 
in harsh or difficult conditions, perhaps in prolonged drought during the summer or in a particularly harsh winter, a process can be triggered within the body of the expectant female and it's called resorption. And what happens is the embryo stops growing and actually is completely reabsorbed within, to, within her own body and effectively she self-aborts the young that she's carrying. And I think there's something that happens in the spiritual realm to promises. We're in particularly harsh conditions where we just give up and say, I don't know, I'm done. I'm, I'm checking out. And that dream is self-aborted. And what this series is about in one sense is, is saying, protect it, guard it, speak faith to it, even when providence does stand before you empty-handed. Protect your promise. You know, uh, I'm, and I want to finish with this, but sometimes I've had people come to me, in fact, somebody did relatively recently during this series and said, Don, how can I know the difference between a promise that God really has given me and my own, um, the word wasn't delusional thinking, but my own, you know, I just, I look back and think I made it up. You know, how can I know that difference? How, how can I know that I'm not being delusional? And, and all of us grapple with that. I, I've grappled with that. In fact, I was in a situation one time where I was uh, in a seminar with a very, very well-known sort of psychotherapist, and I asked him that very question. I said, you know what? I've had people come to me, and they've sat and told me their dreams, and I've looked at them, and I'm, I, you know, I would never say this to them, but I've looked at them and said, you know what? That is a real stretch for me to believe. I mean, I want to believe that God can do amazing things through ordinary people and even lowly people, but you're stretching my faith. And, and I, think, I think they're being a little delusional. And then I said to him, how do I know that I'm not being that with what I think? And, and he looked at me and he said, you know what, I can't answer that question. It's too good a question for me. I don't know. Except that I would say one thing, the very fact that you're asking the question encourages me that you're not being delusional. Because people who are delusional generally don't ask that question. They don't open up to anybody. This is what it is. This is how it is. This is what God has said, and I don't care what anybody says. Listen, most of us are like Mary, are like Jeremiah, are like Gideon. We need confirmation. We, we question, it's just, Lord, I, I, I want to believe this. You know, I feel like you're speaking this to me. And he doesn't mind that you ask for those confirmations. Ask for it. Lord, this is a big stretch for me to believe about myself because I feel so disqualified. But if it's you, would you confirm this? And so often he does. You know, it wasn't that long ago for me that I read this portion of Scripture. It was on a significant birthday for me, and I read this portion of Scripture from Psalm 71. And it talked about the fact that God had led me through my youth. This is the psalmist saying, you've kept me from my mother's womb. You've led me through my youth. And now that I'm old and gray-headed, would you... Let me speak life and truth to the next generation. And as I'm reading this, I felt like the Lord really spoke it to me. A couple of days later, somebody came to me and said, hey, Don, I was thinking about you the other day, and I read this psalm, and it meant so much to me, and I think it's for you. And they read Psalm 71 to me, and that portion of it, now that I'm old and gray-headed, I didn't know whether to be pleased or to whack them. <laughs> but 
confirmation. You know, that's not coincidental. That's providential. And God's not angry with you for your lack of faith when you say, Lord, would you, would you, sh- would you show me? Would you confirm this with me? And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, by the way. Because the body of Christ will somehow regulate, encourage, challenge, speak to, and sometimes adjust those promises. Now, there'll be some in the body of Christ who, like Joseph's brothers, will will laugh at you, will be cynical toward you. But overall, there is something, when God has put a promise in your heart, there is something in the body of Christ that raises the level and speaks to that. You know, even as my pastor was telling me, you'll never be a leader He would occasionally let me preach, and people would come up to me afterwards and say, gee, that was really helpful. You're not just a school teacher, you're actually a teacher. And there was something that spoke to the needs of my heart in that season, as people would confirm that. And people, the body of Christ will do that. They'll come to you and say, you know what, you are really good at, and they'll say something. Or when you talk that way, it really does, and and they will confirm that dream that God has put in your heart. Be open and available to it. Of course, all of us have questions. You know, we, that's just the way we are. Lord, was that really you? Even Mary, even after the angel had gone, she trots off to make sure that Elizabeth is pregnant just so that it wasn't a figment of her imagination. It's okay. Okay, God has patience with that. But once you are aware that God's put something in your heart, once he's confirmed that, I tell you, protect it. Look after it during the long droughts and the harsh winters, because they will come. That's life. And during that season, God will be adjusting and moving and, and speaking to your character. That's, that's, that's the season he does it. Okay? But don't let go of the promise. All right? Hang on to it in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your incredible kindness to us. We thank you for the way you walk with us as we fumble and bumble our way into faith. We thank you that you're so incredibly patient with us. You are patient, you're kind, you're good, you're true, and we love you for it. Thank you that you condescend to partner with us, even though we feel so incredibly disqualified in so many ways. Thank you that it's not about us, it's about what you do in us. And tonight, Lord, we open up our heart. Like Mary of old, we say, let the power of the Most High overshadow us and be it unto us according to your word. Thank you that when you speak, light comes. And we open up our heart for you to speak, to confirm, to create, to conceive within us so that the kingdom of God will come in and through us because of your grace, because of your mercy. We ask these things and we expect them and look for them because of your kindness and goodness. In Jesus' name. for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.